Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. I'm also excited about this new year because of a sermon series that I want to start today. And it's going to last through Easter. So uh, don't look for any changes, big ones, between now and Easter. What we're going to do is a 15-16 week march from here until Easter. And we, it's just going to be us and Jesus. Okay? There are lots of things in the Bible that we can study. Uh, last year, we, we waded through the, the book of the prophet Malachi from the Old Testament. That was some work, for sure, and I think there's, there's benefit to that. In, in uh, years past, we've studied the Holy Spirit in detail. We've, we've taken a look at some of Paul's missionary journeys, those kinds of things. Uh, right around Christmas time, we were studying what it really means to have peace and how you can, you can get a hold of it. If you're a person who still doesn't know peace, know this. There is a God of peace, and um, you'll only have brief episodes of peace in your life until you come to know the God of all peace. And when he comes to live inside of you, peace can become the real, expected, ordinary, everyday experience of your life. If you want to learn more about that, you can, you can uh, check out firstnaz.com and look at the media section. There were three, four series, uh, three or four weeks that I preached on peace back in December of last year. But I'm also going to give you an opportunity at the end of today's message to make an introduction to, to really introduce yourself to and begin a relationship with Jesus, who is the embodiment of the God of all peace. So stay tuned at the end of of today's message. You'll have a chance to do that. But between now and Easter, just Jesus, okay? Just Jesus. And uh, the the route that I'm going to take to Easter is just to start in Mark chapter 1, the, begin, the New Testament of the Bible begins with Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different uh, books written by, you might have guessed, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, and it's four different guys giving their version of the life story of Jesus. Listen, if you were to write your life story and your mama were to write your life story, there'd be two different stories, right? Then if your wife or husband writes your story, you might not want to read it this side of the grave. Your kids, believe me, they tell your life story, okay? And then they reflect it as well. There's, there's four different versions of the life of Jesus recorded at the very beginning of the Bible's New Testament. And, and they're, they're, they're quite similar, but very different in some ways that really bring some real life and dimension to this, this character who's central to our faith. And much of Christian preaching tries to take all four of those stories and kind of weave them together and, and that gives us that kind of well-rounded picture of Jesus, I think. But what I'm going to try to do over the next, uh, how many months, between now and Easter, is just stick to Mark's version. And here's why. Mark was the first of the stories of Jesus that was written down that we still have today. There were probably others that were written down and lost, but we have this one. It's the earliest story, written story of Jesus. Uh, So I think there's some merit to that. The person who first told the story often gets a a chance to shape the way that others think. Uh, Secondly, it's the shortest version of the life story of Jesus, and that's good for almost all of us, right? Shorter is better. You want a kind of a condensed version, a, a crash course in the life and ministry and teachings and person of Jesus? Go to Mark's gospel. It's also uh, shorter because... Mark made the decision he wasn't going to tell all the Christmas stuff. And that's okay because we just did Christmas, right? You, got, you, get, you get your fill of Christmas, okay? Mark doesn't um, confuse us or, or bother us, let's say, 
with the, the stories of the earliest days of Jesus' life, like when his parents took him to the temple and prophets and prophetesses showed up and said all kinds of things and left people in slack-jawed wonder. Mark doesn't, doesn't deal with that. There's a story elsewhere from, from Jesus' life when he's about 12 years old when they take him back to the temple and he uh, kind of, oh man, his mom gets mad and they, you know, somebody called CPS on him because they abandoned Jesus and left him alone for three days in the big city. Uh, Mark thought, maybe we shouldn't tell that story about Jesus' family. He leaves all that off. And what we get with Mark's gospel is just Jesus, as an adult, ready to go for it. Okay, he's ready to do the full-on Jesus by the time we get to the beginning of, of his life, as Mark tells it. So I'm going to work my way through Mark with you because I think if you want to meet Jesus, if you want to get to know him quickly, the best way to do it, go straight to Mark and let's start there. And uh, in fact, both Matthew and Luke, the Gospels that are on either side of Mark, we have a very clear indication, if we study these texts together, that both Matthew and Luke had Mark's gospel, his written story, in hand when they wrote their versions. And they depended on him heavily, and then in a couple of places said, no, that's not the way it happened. Or, hey, you left out an important part. And they really thought a lot about him leaving out the important parts, and that's why both Matthew and Luke are significantly longer versions of Jesus' life story. John... John, 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 John. John was a philosopher, poet, and he decided to tell Jesus' story from, through a completely different lens. So uh, while a lot of folks want to say, oh, yeah, you want to introduce yourself to Jesus, you want to get to know him, you go to John first. I shake my head and say, don't you dare. I send you to Mark. And now Harold is going to send me an email this week explaining why, why John's the best gospel, but we'll just argue about that till Jesus comes back and settles it for us, Harold, okay? Well, here's what I want to do for you this morning. Uh, I want to read to you the first chapter of John's gospel. We're not going to put it on the screen, and I, I encourage you not to find it on your phones, not right now. Or to, if you still carry good old paper Bibles, don't, don't flip to it. Here's what I want you to do. It's a story. So I want you to close your eyes. Just relax and listen. Because when you close your eyes, you'll picture what happens. Remember when you did that when you were a little kid? Mom and dad go to, maybe grandma goes to tell you a story right before you went to bed and you close your eyes and you slipped off into wonderland. Well, this is no make-believe story and there's a Holy Spirit who wants to quicken its word to your heart. I want you to close your eyes and go wherever the Holy Spirit takes you as we turn our attention to the scriptures. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, would you do it now? One more time, take this thing, this story. And make one sentence of it, if, if that's all, new to my heart. Just cause one sentence to, to just show itself to me. To each of my friends, I pray. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he'll prepare your way. He has a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming! Clear the road for him! This messenger was John the Baptist. 
He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come. Follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. and When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law in their day. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet and come out of that man. And at that, The evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority that even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. And after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, They went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So... Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. 
Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest, let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word instead, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places. But people from everywhere just kept coming to him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks, Mark, for getting us started just uh, running 500 miles an hour right into the ministry of Jesus, right? There is no easing into it. We've got Jesus as an adult and doing what he came here to do. If you know any of the Jesus story, you're probably pretty familiar with all the parts of it that that are read to you today, that that Jesus is kind of uh, um, introduced to the scene by this guy named John the Baptist? Yeah. In this version of the story, um, remember Mark doesn't go back and tell us things like, hey, they're related. He just has John the Baptist, this incredible character who, who uh, exists um, as, a, as a celebrity of sorts in Israeli culture when Mark opens his gospel. Uh, how many of you watch, in, watch late night um, television talk shows? Anybody late night TV people? Seriously? Wow. I would have expected more. Okay. How many of you just watch clips of the Jimmy Kimmel show on YouTube the next day? Okay. A bunch more. Yeah. Um, late night TV talk shows are, are apparently a dying tradition in the United States. Wow. I uh, didn't know that. But any, any good uh, celebrity TV talk show host has an announcer, right? I mean, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, um, I, who's, Jimmy's, who's Jimmy's guy? I don't think I have Jimmy, Jimmy, I've got Jimmy Fallon's guy. It's Jimmy Fallon's guy over my shoulder, right? What's his name? Anybody know? Steve something. It's, it's Ed McMahon. Randy, we're going there. You stole my thunder, buddy. We'll just go with Johnny Carson. Luke, Johnny Carson. I want Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon on the screen, okay? That's not him. There you go. There you go. Randy, are you happy? Yeah, speaking your language. Okay, those of you who used to stay up past 7.30, um, there are new talk show hosts, okay? This is the guy who really kind of set the standard for talk show host, Johnny, and the guy who set the standard for announcers, that's Ed McMahon, right over there on, on my right, your left. And those of you, so you're going to say it with me, aren't you? Those of you who know what he used to say. He was the announcer for the show, and so they'd, you know, the band would be playing, and then Ed McMahon would say, Here's Johnny! 
Yeah, and that cannot be improved upon. I don't know why any of the other talk show hosts haven't just picked up Ed Stick, but that was his theme. And, and it defined, really, an era of television, and nobody ever called Johnny Carson John, Jonathan, or anything else because his announcer made him known to the public as Johnny, right? Here's Johnny. If you, if you remember Ed McMahon, he was a great big guy. I mean, 6'4", 6'5", you know, half again, broader across the shoulders than I am, and he had this big, good radio and TV voice and that laugh. Ha, ha, ha. That, I mean, he was just larger than life. Went on to host another, uh, what was that show? Star something. Star, Star Search. Yeah, okay, launched the careers of lots of people. Yeah. Ed McMahon really became this big character in our culture. That, that's John the Baptist in Israeli culture. He was this guy who lots of people would listen to just because of him, let alone who it was that he would eventually announce because John the Baptist developed this great big persona and personality. He uh, dressed up like prophets from four, five, six, seven hundred years before Jesus and uh, walked around kind of like he was in costume. One time I, I, I kind of taught you about this, and I showed up, you remember this? I showed up in buckskins and, and trapper's gear from like the 1830s. You remember that? Yeah, and you all looked at me like, well, that's weird. And a bunch of you took pictures and posted them on Facebook because I looked weird that day. That was John the Baptist all day, every day. Okay, he put on the clown suit, and he went out and got everybody's attention by the way that he addressed, and then did, did his work. One day, however... When Jesus shows up on the scene, it's this opening chapter of, of Mark. He says, here's Jesus. The other gospel writers tell us a whole lot more about that. Mark just tells us that he baptizes Jesus. And then, as the Spirit takes Jesus one way, he takes John the Baptist another way. And John the Baptist, who had been this incredible celebrity, just retires. Well, not actually retires. He gets arrested, thrown in jail, and gets his head chopped off. Um, but it ends your career pretty effectively either way. And um, so uh, John the Baptist heads one way, Jesus another. And this, this, this text tells us that, that uh, Jesus heads off into the wilderness. There he's, he's engaged in a, in a series of temptations. But, but John does his job very effectively. He gets Jesus all of the spotlight. I mean, there's no, there's no brighter spotlight than when heaven itself bursts open, something visibly God comes down and as gentle as a dove kind of lands on Jesus, and then a voice from heaven says, presumably God, right, says, that's my son, and I love him a lot, and I'm really pleased with who he is. Spotlight, right there. John kind of, uh, or Mark rather, introduces Jesus and introduces John the Baptist. He starts this whole thing by saying just this, this first sentence. He said, this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's, it's a big sentence. It's a big sentence. And, and he's telling us about who Jesus is. He uses this title, Christ, which is, uh, we talked about it uh, a number of times. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And Messiah is the Hebrew word that means specially chosen and specially equipped one. God picked 
and equipped somebody to do his work in this world, and it was Jesus. And Mark presents Jesus to us as this Messiah figure and as the Son of God himself, claiming that Jesus was, in fact, a God coming into this world. That's a big claim. How can anybody be sure that Jesus was actually the Jewish Messiah, that political figure they were looking for, political religious figure, and the Son of God? What kind of proof or evidence is offered to us? That's the point of the rest of this book. Sentence number one, Mark says, let me introduce you to Jesus. And all the rest of the book, he says, and now I'm going to prove that Jesus is exactly who I said he was. And he offers us in this very first paragraph this as proof. He's, he's writing to some people who um, really knew the Israeli story pretty well, really knew the background on Messiah, and were kind of on Messiah watch. And he says, I'm going to tell you that you can be sure that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the Son of God because he is the fulfillment of the writing of two different prophets. Now, here's one of the, here's one of the things about the Bible that I love. Sometimes it doesn't give you complete information, and sometimes iffy information. If you look at at Mark chapter 1, he says, as was written by the prophet Isaiah, and then he quotes Malachi. (laughs) Don't don't make too much of that. It's it's not the kind of error that makes you say, oh, no, there's no hope in the scriptures. But the first sentence that he quotes as Isaiah is really from Malachi. There's things similar in Isaiah. But then he, the second sentence, he quotes Isaiah. So what's, here's what he really does. He says to people who are looking for a Messiah, how can you be sure he's the Messiah? He said, well, look at what the prophets said. And the prophets said that not only would Messiah come, but there would be one who came before him who uh, would talk to you about cleaning up your act. And that's exactly what John the Baptist's message was when he came. Okay? So we've got this introduction of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as Son of God, and then Mark says, I'm going to prove it to you by saying, reference the prophets who said this guy would come, and then I'm going to record the life and the teachings of Jesus in complete enough form that any reasonable person who read it would be convinced that my initial claim was true. Mark also kind of hints at something in the beginning here that's important for us to understand. He says uh, that Jesus is coming to help people understand, Jesus and John the Baptist both, to help people understand that in order to be connected with God, you got to turn around. It's, the, it's implying that all human beings, just innately so, we somehow all manage to do this. We walk the wrong way. We turn around and we walk away from God. Life, as we know how to live it, takes us away from God. Most of us are taking a journey deeper into ourselves. I'm just more into me every day. I like me more, or uh, I want to indulge me more, or I don't know why all the rest of the people in my household aren't equally committed to my happiness. It's a journey into me, most of us. We're walking toward ourselves with our backs turned on God. And both John the Baptist and Jesus came uh, teaching this idea that if you want to get connected with the God of this universe, you got to stop, turn around, and walk back toward him. The word for that is repent. Anywhere you see the word repent in the Bible, anytime you see movies with, uh, you know, those half-crazed end times fanatics walking around with a big sign that says, repent, the end is near. Um, Repent is a word that says, stop, you're walking away from God. Just turn around and walk back toward him. It's a fact that people wander away from God. It's also a fact that returning to him makes for a better life. It'll be more fulfilling for you individually. It'll be... uh, 
more satisfying for all the people who know you because you'll get less into you and you'll become a bit more other-centered in the way that you live. And the other fact that's kind of established for us from the very beginning in Mark's gospel is that God is glad to receive every single wanderer. If you'll stop and turn around, he's glad to receive every single one that comes back. John the Baptist, as I mentioned, kind of an announcer, kind of, let's say, an opening act. Do you remember, okay, let me hear from you the great concerts that you have gone to in your life. Who are, were, Elton John. Who was the opening act when you went to see Elton John? No clue. Who was the opening act when you went to see Rod Stewart? Don't know. Pardon? Journey. Who opened for Journey? That's definitely an opening act. Yeah, yeah. Other great concerts you've seen? The way this goes is you, there's, an, there's this big act and there's an opening act first. And the opening act is like, you know, golf clap, right? Polite applause. And sometimes we get to see these up and comers. But for the most part, they really organize this thing so that you've got the big guns. And they've got little guns. I mean, they're still guns, but they're little guns, right? And John the Baptist ends up presenting himself as, yeah, I'm kind of an announcer. I'm kind of an opening act. You see, opening acts and the main act, they do the same thing. Right? They get out there, they sing, they perform, they do all this. It's just that one of them does it considerably better than the other. That's, it's supposed to be like that. And John the Baptist kind of presents himself that way and saying, uh, yeah, here's Jesus, but he, he warms up the crowd, let's say, by preaching this very similar message that Jesus preached. But let's just put it this way. It was clear both to Jesus and to John that while they were preaching a similar message, with the same goal, getting people to stop, turn around, walk back toward God. One of them could do it at beginner level, and the other could do it at pro level. John the Baptist had a very exciting opening act. He was getting quite a few people from uh, the southern part of the country uh, to, to leave Jerusalem in the center of power, go out to the concert venue where he was down by the river, and uh, it, he got a pretty good following, and People were saying, okay, I recognize, I kind of need to walk back toward God, and yeah, okay, I'll do this ritual bath thing that you guys do to show people that I'm sorry for how I used to live. But when Jesus came, Jesus came preaching that message plus some, and very quickly, John the Baptist crowd dried up well before he was arrested. So we've got this opening act, John the Baptist, we've got this announcer, John the Baptist, and we've got Jesus who shows up on the scene. And uh, this, the arrival of Jesus on the scene, as Mark starts painting the picture for us, is an incredible thing. We've got Jesus baptized and immediately going out into the wilderness. And in that wilderness, we find out that Jesus has a very clarifying experience over the course of 40 days. Because he's walking with God, but he's being tempted by the enemy of our souls who tempts you and me today. And other gospel writers tell us more about the content. Mark doesn't. Mark just has us see this Jesus who apparently bursts onto the scene, goes to the baptism, goes from there for 40 days of boot camp. But when he comes back from the wilderness after 40 days of boot camp, he does full-on Messiah and Son of God kind of activity in this world. And Jesus' ministry really... Um, some folks, I think, were looking at it thinking that this is just John the Baptist Act 2. 
But Jesus said, no, we're going to do this in a different place for a reason, and we're going to have a slightly different message for a reason too. And the place was important. Jesus uh, took his ministry way, 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 way far away from Jerusalem and the centers of power. He took it a way, long way away from the halls of government. He took it a long way away from anybody who had any influence in matters of institutional religion. And he went out to the place where the hillbillies lived. He went out to the place where the dumb rednecks lived. I mean, I hate to say this, but Galilee was the north Idaho of Israel. Work with me just a little bit here. I mean, that's the way the rest of the world, come on, that's the way the rest of the country looks at us here, right? I'm not saying it's true of us, but that's the way the rest of the country looks at us. They think that we're all skinhead Aryan racists. They think none of us can read. They think all of us are still dressing, um, you know, in our logging boots and um, suspenders every day and walk around with, a, with a, a straw sticking out of our mouths, okay? Not that there's anything wrong with that, for those of you who are still doing all those things. But, but that's the way the rest of the country looks at us. They, oh, oh, Idaho. And they start talking slower, so maybe we'll understand. Yeah, that's kind of the... Galilee was the North Idaho, or who am I kidding? The southern Missouri of, uh, of Israel. And Jesus takes his ministry there. He took it away from all the power and all the position and, and away from all the people that other folks thought, you know, that's the way to really get your ministry uh, recognized and to get it powering uh, full steam ahead is to get all the who's who on board. And Jesus said, who? I don't know any who's who. And he headed to the hills and took his ministry out there. Uh, he also preached a significantly different message than John did. John was always sniping at the, at the government. Jesus said, ah, forget about government. Let's, just, let's go out here and live. And he went to the north country, and he took this message, and it was significantly different. Some, you know, began in, in similar fashion to, to John's, but, but it ended up being different from John's too because John the Baptist's message was about the future. He kept saying, there's one who is coming. And there's a kingdom that he's bringing with him. And you need to repent. Remember, turn around, walk away from, from yourself and from sin, and walk toward God. And in doing so, that's going to make a straight path. It's going to make an, an easy way for God to get to you and you to get to God. And that kingdom of God that has been promised by the prophets from a long time ago, it's going to come on that highway that you prepare by your own repentance. So be extra, extra extra religious. It's not a very popular message, and it's why John's ministry really didn't, didn't last too long. Jesus said, John the Baptist's message was about the future. My message is about now. And here's the message. The kingdom is no longer in the future. Now feel that. Because some of you have been Christians your whole life, and you've been dreaming of heaven You've been dreaming of Jesus returning to this planet one day and straightening out the whole mess. And, and, and it always seems to be on the far horizon or just past it. Jesus' message was not about a future kingdom. His message was about a present kingdom. If you're going to summarize Jesus' message in two words, it's kingdom now. He... Uh, 
He said it in some of the translations that you read. We'll, we'll have Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you know what at hand means? It's where my hand is. Close enough that I can lay hold of this kingdom. Jesus was announcing while John was saying, hey, there's, a, there's one coming in the future. Jesus said, it's coming right now. As I arrive, the kingdom of God arrives upon this planet. It's, it's a whole new way of experiencing life. It's a whole new way of experiencing love. It's a whole new way of experiencing God. And if you need religion, it'll be a whole new way of experiencing religion. But the kingdom of God that you have thought existed in another realm, a place called heaven, the kingdom of God that you thought would be some, some future thing way, way out there, it's here and it's now. And so turn away from your sins and turn toward God, not as a way of preparing for a kingdom that's coming, but as a way of engaging in it right now. John says, get ready. Jesus says, get in. See the difference? John says, get ready. Jesus says, get in. Turn away from your sins. Turn toward God. And when you do, you will be living in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, pastor, I know a little bit about history. And Jesus came and he didn't do enough political stuff to create a kingdom. And so they were living in Caesar's kingdom because Rome controlled Israel. Jesus said, so what? That's just real estate. If you turn away from your sin and you turn toward God, you will get into God's kingdom. And who cares what Caesar does? Uh, Pastor, I know enough about the Bible to know that Jesus didn't engage enough politically to get real political power. And so um, the people in Israel were actually living in Herod's kingdom. Yeah, just so you know, Herod never was a real king. Herod was a puppet king that did whatever Caesar told him, plus whatever he could get by with without getting noticed. And he was, he was a, a puny runt of a human being in his mind and in his heart. Weasel. Think of a weasel, okay? He was the weasel of royalty, okay? There was no kingdom of Herod, not really. So Jesus said, who cares what Herod does? If you turn toward God, you get to live in the kingdom of God. Well, what about all the, the religious aristocracy, the institutionalized church in Jerusalem, and all the priests who've got all this power and influence? What about all the big rabbis of our day? Jesus said, yeah, I, I, I don't care about those either. If you turn around and face God, start walking toward him, you are in his kingdom in that moment. And a few honest people would probably say, I kind of like to run my own life. I kind of like to be in charge of me. And uh, most of your families will say, um, yeah, we can tell. But a few honest people will say, um, if I'm being honest, I live in my kingdom. Jesus says, I know a lot of people do. But if you'll just turn around, turn away from that, turn toward me, like that, you're in my kingdom. John came announcing a future religious event, a future religious person and a future religious experience, and then saw this guy one day and said, here's Jesus. And Jesus said, kingdom come, kingdom now, kingdom here. Who cares about all the other kingdoms? Turn and face God, and you're in just like that. 
all the rest of the book of Mark, for all the rest of the book of Mark, the description of the life and teachings of Jesus, Mark is going to just show us how Jesus understood and then demonstrated what it means to live presently in the kingdom of God, not to get ready for it, but to actually do kingdom now. And over the rest of this first chapter, he gave us some kingdom teachings and then some demonstrations of kingdom living. That's what I want to share with you in the few minutes that we have left. Jesus then went around, uh, for the most part, mostly up there in the northern hillbilly country, away from the centers of power, made a few trips down there, usually stirred things up, and then went right back home and went back to his people in the north country. Hooray for the hillbillies. Spent most of his life up there and most of his uh, public ministry up there. And he taught us a handful of things. And in this first chapter, you'll see kingdom teaching number one. And it's in that section of the story that I read to you this morning where Jesus is calling his disciples. People don't do that today. We don't, for the mo- we don't have um, traveling teachers for the most part in our culture who just walk up to people and say, leave what you're doing and be, be my follower. Largely because you don't have to leave to be... Uh, modern-day followers. You just click like and follow, and you tune in every day to see what kind of whatever they spew at you via YouTube or other social media, right? Oh, by the way, none of you are really following either. You're just listening and watching for a little bit. When Jesus called people to come follow him, he didn't say click like. He said, pack your bag, sweetheart. Let's go for a walk together, and over the years, it's going to change you. In this kingdom... Uh, teaching, number one, where we see him calling the disciples to himself, he teaches them as he calls them. Kingdom principle number one. Here's kingdom principle number one. Day-to-day life in the kingdom of God is about connecting with people, not Pisces. Okay, Pisces, that's a preacher trick. Pisces is the is a, a old word for fish, right? I'm, it was born in March. People born in March, okay. So, and some in February, right. We're the Pisces people, they tell us. I still don't know what that's supposed to mean, but um, they, there's a fish that some people associate with me. Um, he's got these guys who are fishermen. They like to connect with fish. They try to connect with fish every single day. And they like to, follow me here, I'm going to be really preachery, okay? He, they like to connect with Pisces so they can really connect with pesos, right? Because they were selling fish. That's what it was all about for them. And Jesus teaches, as he's calling his very first disciples, life in the kingdom of God is not about connecting with Pisces or Pesos. It's about connecting with people. So he says, why don't you leave the fish? Why don't you leave this way of gaining a living and maybe even getting rich? Why don't you come and connect with me and with other people, and we'll try to get all of us connected to God. Kingdom principle number one. He teaches it as he calls his first followers. Day-to-day life in the kingdom is about connecting with people, period. Uh, But, Pastor, we have to make some money. Yep, and so did those guys. And so from time to time, they fished a little bit, and they did other things, and and somehow they managed to feed themselves and Mama and the kids while they were gone. You have to make some money. Jesus would probably acknowledge that. But Jesus would probably also say to us that you don't need to make, make nearly as much as you think you do. And you definitely don't need to make as much as you desire, You need to connect with people. And the truth is, you probably need to connect with people more than you desire. You probably need less money than you desire, and you probably need more people than you desire. And within that relationship, connected with people, you can then bring them into a connection with God. 
Now, let me get this straight, Christians, because it's important. We don't fake relationship with people to snooker them in to a religious experience of salvation. We don't use people, friendship, to try to get religious things to happen. We authentically love and give ourselves to our fellow man. And without apology, we sincerely hope that in so doing, they'll see Jesus in us and come to love him. We don't drop our friends when they don't become Christians fast enough. We don't We don't go out there and have a mark, a target, that I'm going to, quote, win to Jesus. We find people, and we love them, and we get an arm around them, and we get real relationship with them. And in the process, they'll see the Jesus in me. They'll see the Jesus in you. And we'll get an opportunity to introduce one of our friends to another of our friends. Authentic relationship. It's about connecting with people. Jesus taught it in, in the very first chapter when he called his first disciples. The first thing he did as Messiah and as Son of God was to teach us life in the kingdom is about connecting with people. The very next part of that, of that uh, chapter 1 gives us then um, a kingdom demonstration. We've got kingdom teaching Life is about connecting with people day to day. And then Jesus does these kind of kingdom demonstrations once in a while to shock people, to help them remember, oh yeah, life isn't what, I th- what it used to be. Life isn't how I used to imagine it. Life isn't how I used to experience. It's not, oh, the world's horrible and the kingdom is too far out there in the future for it to make any difference. It's kingdom now and it's kingdom here. And so Jesus would, would pull this, uh, it would pull the, the blinders off the eyes of everybody in some location and let them see, for a moment, the fullest expression of the kingdom of God. He would heal people. He would sometimes take control of the weather and the very elements. He would, he would reach into the spiritual realm where people couldn't see. And all of a sudden, demons would talk and howl and, and, and t- attack people. And Jesus would go, knock it off, knock it off. And he'd fix it. And when people stood there going, he would go back to teaching them, and here's how you live in the kingdom. So we've got these kingdom teachings, first and foremost, Everyday life in the kingdom is just about connecting with people. Kingdom demonstrations like, like casting out demons and healing Peter's mother-in-law. Oh, by the way, he offers, I, th- I think in the text it's kind of funny. It's like, and if you don't believe that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, she was immediately well enough to cook our supper. <laughs> and she gets up and makes a meal for them. Huh. Kingdom teaching number one, day-to-day life's about connecting with people. Came, kingdom demonstration number one was that... Uh, Uh, two things, that there's power in the teaching and learning encounter. Jesus goes to the synagogue and teaches, and that's where the power over evil is manifested. Somebody needs to get a hold of that. Jesus goes to the synagogue and he says, sit down, I'm going to teach, and you're going to learn. And there's real power in the teaching because everybody there who was already good at going to church and listening to people try to teach said, dude, it's different when he does it. There's power and there's authority. It makes sense. There's, a, there's, a, there's an unction behind this thing. 
And as they, they recognized the power of the teaching, there was often then another one of those kingdom demonstrations of the power of God over evil, the power of the kingdom in stamping out evil. So Jesus teaches, demons throw fits. Jesus heals people and sends demons packing and says, not one more word. And they go, mookin. And the demons slink into the background. And the kingdom was there, and the kingdom was then. It was here, and it was now. We go on down through the chapter, and we're going to come across kingdom teaching number two in this one brief sentence where it says that, After Jesus did a whole bunch of the kingdom here, kingdom now teaching and kingdom here, kingdom now kind of demonstrations, he took a breather and he headed out into the hills and he just spent some time talking to God. And in so doing, he teaches us kingdom teaching, kingdom principle number two, day-to-day life in the kingdom is about connecting with God. Principle number one, day-to-day life in the kingdom is about connecting with people. Principle number two, it's about connecting with God. And he goes out there and he prays, yeah, but people are going to uh, going to worry about where he is. So what? Got to connect with God. Yeah, but um, he should have been considerate of how much the uh, disciples ne- nope, needed to connect with God. All these people, there was more healing to do. I know, but he needed to connect with God. So he didn't tell anybody where he was going. He got up earlier than everybody else in the house. And he slipped away. And he went out and he prayed. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he and God just talked until the disciples finally found him, and he's like, all right, God, uh, let's go. And he went with the guys. After teaching plainly, day-to-day life is about connecting with God, not about doing mere religious practices. Hey, listen, life isn't about doing devotions in the kingdom. It's about connecting with God regularly. Your devotional practices may lead you to that. Be careful that they don't become empty forms. This thing that I do so that I know I'm fine. There is no fine in the kingdom of God. There's connected or disconnected. Kingdom teaching number one, day-to-day life in in the kingdom is about connecting with people. Uh, Kingdom teaching number two, day-to-day life is about connecting with God. And then as we wrap up the chapter, we get kingdom teaching number three. Just kidding. There isn't one. There's only two. There's not three. There's only two. He goes right back to It's about connecting with people. And we see this in Jesus' response to the guys when they found him. Hey, there's people who are looking for you. And Jesus goes, I know, I needed to connect with God. And now let's go right back and connect with the people. We get one sentence of Jesus praying, describing this whole like early morning hours thing. And then he goes right back to connecting with people. But get this, Jesus doesn't connect with the right people. In so doing, he teaches us something about the kingdom. He didn't say, okay, time to go to Jerusalem. I'll become the high priest. No. Okay, let's go to Jerusalem. I'll become the king. No, none of that. He stays up with the hillbilly, up with the ignorant, up with the rednecks, up with the people with the funny accents, up with the people that eh, the who's who didn't care about. He connects with, you know, his people because Jesus was one of those people. Jesus goes to the synagogues on a tour, and he connects with common folks. He connects with countrymen. He connects with villagers. He connects with his relatives. He connects with the Galilean masses, none of whom were important. But he also connects with a group of people 
that everybody else had given up on. Lepers. You know, there are people in every culture that are so far gone that everybody writes them off. I don't know. In our culture, it's probably drug addicts, immigrants, the poor of various kinds. Then we just go, ah, they've got so many problems. There's so many layers to that onion. I don't know how to peel it. So, plus, I'm not comfortable around them. Jesus did the synagogue tour. He said, okay, I'll occasionally come and be around religious people. But the bulk of the time, I'm going to go be with the commoners and with the people who aren't good enough to even be common. Day-to-day life in the kingdom is about connecting with people, the people who sought him, and the people who weren't seeking him, and the people that everybody else had given up on. Just two principles in the kingdom, folks. If you want to call them rules, call them that. That's not a good name for them. If you want to call them laws, call them that, but it's not a very good name for them. It's two ways of doing life since the kingdom's now and the kingdom's here. You connect with people, and you connect with God, and you connect with people. And if you keep doing that often enough, you'll get your wires crossed on occasion and you'll connect with people and God at the same time. And if you keep doing that often enough, you'll, you'll trip over some of those strange connections and you will connect people to God. And you will find out that there is really only one principle in the kingdom. There's really only one life in the kingdom. It's a, it's a life in which every day you are so tangled up with God and tangled up with the people around you that you're connecting with both at the same time and connecting both of them together with you. If there's one word in the kingdom, it's connect. Mark said that message is so important. I don't have time to tell you about Christmas. I don't have time to tell you about baby Jesus. I don't have time to tell you about teenager Jesus. And I don't have time to tell you about young adult Jesus. I don't have time to tell you about carpenter Jesus. I'm just going to tell you about the Jesus who showed up and said, connect with people, connect with God, connect with people, connect with God, connect with people, connect with God, connect with people, connect people and God. And when you do, it may not even feel like it, but you are literally in the kingdom of God when you do either or both of those things. You know, if you'd like, you could get in the kingdom today. Some of you have been for years. You get it. And you, you, you feel God. I mean, you literally, you literally sense and experience him whenever you connect with another person because love comes up in your heart. Some of you, you already know what I'm talking about because you start to have a conversation with God and suddenly it goes from religious activity to you encountering him. And some of you remember when that used to happen in your life, but something's happened. For the first time, or for the hundredth do-over today, you can connect with God. And all you have to do is admit you've been facing away from him. God turned around. 
facing away from him and turn and face him today and he will say, I accept all comers. Just know as you come toward me, I'm going to ask of you two things. Connect with me and people. With me and people. And people and me. And you will be experiencing the kingdom. I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads right now. It's something that we do uh, partially as an act of reverence toward God and partially as a way of admitting that we're easily distracted from God. When I watch my neighbor fiddle with their phone or um, whatever. But by bowing our heads and closing our eyes, somehow we seem to get alone with God for a moment. Kind of like Jesus on a hillside, away from everybody else. And if in that space that is just yours and God's right now, you'll just own up to him. I've been facing away from you. I don't know how I got here. But I'm turning and facing you today. Friend, I'm telling you literally in that second, you will have entered the kingdom of God. The church has sometimes called it getting saved or salvation or becoming a Christian or conversion. None of those are as good words as in the kingdom. Just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. And I just want to ask, did anybody here today enter the kingdom for the first time? Did you just turn and face God and say, hey, I'm coming to you. I want in. Would you just raise your hand real quick? I'm not going to make you come up front or give speech or anything. I just want to know, anybody today, first time or or for real time, say, I entered the kingdom today? All right. Anybody willing to say, I don't know how I see you back there. Anybody today willing to say, I don't know how it happened, Cliff, but I found myself facing away from God as you were talking about that. But but I turned and faced him again today. I just want you to know I'm, I'm back in the kingdom, and, and it's where I intend to stay with God's help. And I'm, I'm going to learn to follow Jesus this spring. Anybody, anybody do that today? Hand up in the air and right back down. There's no shame in that. Yeah, good. I see you back there. There's no shame in that. Fantastic. Lord, you've done it again. Working through working through this ancient story and through a guy who probably talked too long in telling it. You've one more time introduced someone to you and regained an old friend. Lord, we're going to continue to walk with you. We thank you for a kingdom that's simple enough for folks like us to understand it and to be able to live it every day. We don't have to remember 639 rules. We don't have to remember 10 because we don't have to remember rules. We just got to know that living, really living, is connecting with people and with you. Making that connection healthy and holy, we call it love. I thank you that you connected with people today. Now, Lord, give us kingdom eyes. Give us the ability as we leave, as we leave here today to really see that life in the kingdom isn't doing a bunch of religion. We don't shut it on and off. It's not going to church. It's connecting with people and connecting with you, connecting people with you. Lord, I pray that you would turn the lights on, that that reality would dawn on the hearts of every person 
who hears the message. It's good news. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Friends, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I, um, the, the church has been good at that for uh, 2,000 years, overcomplicating things. I want to make this real simple. If you connected with God today for the first time, or if you reconnected with him, the way to continue to do that is to continue to do that. It's, it's, you don't have, there, there's no classes to take. There's none of that. There's no things that you have to, quote, start doing to become religious. Just turn and face God at some point every day or several points each day. It will probably help you if you connect with other people who connect with God. That's just a helpful hint. But turn and connect with God and with people. It is the sum total of living in the kingdom. And I declare to you today, the kingdom has come here. The kingdom has come now. So may you know the Lord's peace. Amen. Go in peace.